0: Welcome, everyone, to the Hilliard Beacon Audio Companion, number 15. It is June 1st. I am Jordan Smith, and I am joined, as usual, by my good friend Tim Hoffman. Hello there. And Kevin Corvo. Hello. We are here today in the uh, beautiful city of Hilliard, in the beautiful state of Ohio, in the beautiful nation of the United States of America, (laughs) on the etc., 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 to talk to you folks about the goings on in our beautiful little town. So, uh, to that end, we are previewing two stories today, one of which will be probably published uh, before this goes up. And it is uh, initially uh, kind of the final chapter, uh, a fit of a, of a legacy of education here in Hilliard. Um, I call it in the headline a grace note because uh, the last of anything doesn't really tell the story of everything that happened uh, during that time. But, Kevin, why don't you give us a little bit of background on uh, Sharon Huseman and what came about as a result of um, her passing.
1: Um, Yeah, Beth Basil, a retired educator uh, from the school district, uh, brought this to my attention. Uh, Sharon and Beth... Miss Huseman and Miss Basil, to me, we're both We're both <laughs> a chapter, teachers. A chapter from your past. A chapter from my past. Uh, we're both uh, teachers at the uh, Hillard High School. And for the listeners who are my age, um, that would be the Hillard High School at 5600 side of Derby Road, which uh, after 1990 became Hillard Memorial Middle School and now is uh, Station Sixth Grade School. So um, I covered for this week uh, the 25th anniversary of the Sharon Hughesman Memorial Scholarship. Uh, each year, uh, since 1991, uh, the Sharon Hughesman Memorial Scholarship has awarded scholarships to a handful of Davidson graduates. And uh, Beth uh, let me know not too long ago that they've kind of sunset the scholarship and that the two students, the two Davidson students who received scholarships um, recently are to be the last uh, to receive the scholarship. Uh, 59 students in all um, received uh, scholarships since its establishment in 1991. And it's just an example of a story that I like to get out there and write about uh, amid the more hard news stories we do and uh, city council and government and school board policy related issues. Um, I think community news uh, should include stories like this. And uh, this was something that I had done um, for this week. And uh, that's the story that's going up shortly. Uh, Sharon Hughesman was a coach, uh, coached uh, volleyball, uh, basketball, and softball, and softball. um, I believe twelve OCC titles. Yep, that's what you've got here. Wow! Uh, During the course of her tenure at Taylor High School, uh, she taught there from 1969 through 1990, and uh, when she passed in 1991, uh, from um, cancer and, and some other health complications. Uh, her family uh, brought $15,000 dollars, posted $15,000 dollars, donated15,000 dollars, and established and seeded the start of the uh, Sharon Hughes Memorial Scholarship. Uh, Beth told me that over the ensuing over the past three decades, um, coaches of various sports uh, over the decades at Davidson High School would uh, bring nominations forward as to what student athletes they thought um, were uh, worthy of receiving the scholarship. Uh, Beth shared with me that it was the mission of Sharon to um, instill and develop character um, in, in in the athletes. So uh, the athletes uh, they uh, tended to choose were those that not only exemplified sportsmanship, uh, but also um, were just good character-based leaders. Character-based, yes. Um, Sharon, uh, through Beth, she shared with me, and Beth was a, a assistant coach under Sharon. Um, in, in the sports they coached, um, that, that uh, Sharon strive to instill in um, students as much uh, character development um, and life skills uh, were important to her as you know, who won the game. Um, and, that's, and I'm sharing what Beth told me uh, sure. about Sharon. I was not a student athlete. Um, uh, Sharon Huesman was phys ed instructor for me when I was a sophomore, but I would imagine most coaches probably do their phys ed class a little differently than whatever team they're coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, different, different requirements, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, I never witnessed um, Sharon's coaching. twelve title.
0: Her, you never witnessed her twelve title <laughs> form on the sideline playing for her, but uh, people uh, in the article, in the piece, speak to uh, playing for her and and through her teams and some of the lessons that they learned there. And uh, something that was interesting to me was that a lot of people actually talked about wanting to get this scholarship, regardless of the monetary reward, regardless of, you know, certain things that went along with it. It was more about uh, honoring the connection with that coaching, with that ethos at the time and with the lessons that that coach conveyed to those student athletes. You know, that's a, that's a, thing that I think a lot of us can relate to, uh, me personally, I had good coaching in, in one of my sports, uh, football, terrible coaching in basketball, which was sucked for me because I really preferred basketball. I, I thought I was a much better basketball player than I ever was a football player, but the coaching, the program, the support that I got from football coaches made me, in the end, love and appreciate that sport more and I imagine that uh, Sharon Huesman had that effect on a lot of players that she coached but also students that she had and supported Mm -hmm. and that her family supported through the scholarship uh, as part of her legacy but just in mind with uh, teachers and and educators that have had big impacts why don't we share just real quick (laughs) uh, a teacher or a coach maybe that had a significant impact on uh your life in your education. Uh this can be through any level of school. I mean maybe mm-hmm. if you really hooked up and connected with that preschool thought, uh okay. learning uh letters and numbers, maybe that was maybe that was your principal experience. Tim, what was uh what was your uh foundational experience with a teacher
2: or an educator? Well one of my favorite teachers and he's always top of mind because we're friends on Facebook. Uh, but he was uh, no he was our choir director in high school Okay, Mm -hmm. Mr. Loudon Uh, Mr. Loudon was uh, he was always interested in uh, making his own arrangements so he'd like get a song stuck in his craw and he would uh, transcribe and arrange all the instruments and then recruit uh, students to play those instruments, and so sometimes we would do like uh, he did a, an arrangement of Roundabout, mm, the scariest song. Yeah, <laughs> that we that we did uh, that we did at a choir concert. So I was wearing my choir robe and stepped out and got behind the drum kit, and I think Brett played bass. Katie was playing Rick Wakeman's. Organ solo, Johnny Bruno on guitar. Um, you know, it was neat, and to play those, and he, you know, he was also an excellent uh, choir director, so the choir always sounded good. So, you know, playing those arrangements was really kind of cool. But also, the example was he, he, he took a tune and then just turned it into something that we could all do.
0: Exam- gave you an example of breaking every convention to do with an established song and said, hey, look, I, I have confidence in what I know. You can have that same confidence and you can do the same type of thing.
2: Right. And so, and this was also early 90s. So, um, we were starting to get into, you know, there was music tech. There was a music tech class that you could take, and at that time, um, recording wasn't really available via via computers. That was still a few years out. But what we did was, tapes, yeah. we had uh, we had uh, MIDI, MIDI sequencing uh, through on, on. We had these little Macs, and they would hook up to uh, a multi-timbral synthesizer, uh, and so you would sort of arrange and program in the parts and then it would send the signals to the synthesizer, which would play the music.
0: Output for you. Yeah,
2: it's kind of of a... It's convoluted compared to how people produce music uh, with computers now. Sure. Um, Just because you didn't have the processing power to deal with the audio inside the computer. You could... Uh, Create note information, send that to a synthesizer that could then create the audio.
0: But you picked all this up from being in the class with this choir director who was like, we're going to do it this way. We're going to bam-bam this thing (laughs) (laughs) until we get what we need out of it. And
2: that was sort of the state of the way things were. There were some uh, new music workstation synthesizers. We had some uh, Roland JV-35s. We had a Korg M1, which is a classic... Like I could play if I had a Korg M one here right now, I could play you various patches on that and you would immediately recognize the sound of them from pop hits of the mm. early nineties. Oh, because you learned on that and were taught. No, how, because they used the, oh, they, they, they used, used that, that synth on that so time, many yeah. records. Right, right. Um and so that would that was a that you know, he had a remarkable Impact, and I still use things I learned in those classes. I'll be using them tonight. There you go. Yeah.
0: There you go. So thanks, Mr. Loudon. I'll I'll let you know I talked (laughs) about
2: you in this episode. Absolutely. Touch base
0: on Facebook. Let them know what's up. I thought you were going to tell the story about when you uh, went to college and your professor showed up and was like so here's the box i taught mr rogers how to play
2: (laughs) oh that's another that's another one that was in college that was the drum teacher that i had for a couple years at grove city college in grove city pennsylvania they uh the first year we were there we had um a guy who was like an academic percussion instructor and then he didn't come back Uh, So my sophomore year, they found another guy, and they found this working drummer out of Pittsburgh. Mm. And he happened to be the guy that played with uh, Joe Negri, who is um, like a top, or I'm not sure if he's still around, but like top jazz guitarist in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I know that name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was... He also... I think he might have been the handyman on Mr. Rogers. Mm, Okay. He played one of the recurring characters. Um, But all the music on that show had a lot of jazz, guitar jazz, uh, you know, with drums, and a lot of vibraphone stuff. And this man, Robert Rossthorn, played all of it. He played it all. And so... But he also played gigs with the orchestras, any jazz gig. He, like... If there was a, a, a pro job where you had to hit something, he's pulling up the stool. He's showing up and he's, he's knocking it out. A very, you know, like a, a workman like uh, and very professional guy who could show up and play any gig, mm-hmm. uh, including, hey, we need uh, someone to teach percussion. To Fred Rogers, at or
0: th- to a bunch of kids at Grove City College, yeah, at this <laughs> little liberal
2: arts college, you know, with a small music department. So he showed up, and uh, one of the one of the things that sparked my interest in becoming a drummer was an episode of Mister Rogers, where he had and he called him Bobby Ross come on and show him some rudiments on a practice pad. And I remember the practice pad; it was a red box with a round pink gum rubber. Uh, pad on the top of it. He showed him paradiddle, paradiddle. Pa- it's a cube. It's a ratamacue. And so, what happens the first time I have a lesson with my new drum instructor? Or well, I didn't recognize his name. He hauls out that self same practice <laughs> pad. I get to bunch, play on that. Teaches a
0: bunch of twenty-somethings. I about lost my mind. <laughs> Just like Fred Rogers did. I wish I'd have been a better student. Well, <laughs> everybody's got regrets. Yeah. Regrets we've had a few. Kevin, <laughs> I
1: turn to you. Let's you know, ha- let's have
0: a formative education
1: experience. I've got I've got a few, so I got to narrow it down here, yeah. gentlemen. But to your point, Tim, um, I thought about this because you mentioned a music teacher. If we asked around, what Jordan asked about um, teachers with an impact. I think we would find that they come out of the arts more often than any, uh, a lot, I think. Um, Because I'm going to share a few. And it also reminded me when I was covering, um, uh, when the district was considering release time for religious instruction. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a policy, other districts do it, it's a policy where uh, students, if they elect to, uh, can take a, a limited amount of time out during the academic day for religious instruction, religious instruction. But it cannot, under Ohio Department of Education rules, it can't come from core curriculum. Core curriculum being math, Mm -hmm. science, STEM, all that kind of stuff. Not included in that is typically music, art, that sort of thing. Uh, And Attention was drawn to the fact that if, if this happens, then some would view that, some argued that that made the arts look less important than STEM and science and math. Um, so that just made me think of that. Be- sure. Because, well, a lot of people argue Because that. the first thing you went to was a music teacher. Yeah. And uh, several of the teachers I remember, uh, of course, my journalism instructor, Donette mm-hmm. Calhoun, mm-hmm. whom I'm still in touch with um, to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was uh, advisor for the Wildcat staff, where I started my reporting career, as it were. I know many people, and Robin Brenneman, who's a drama director at, at, at the high school then, and as executive director of the Hard Arts Council, many students—I mean, legions of students—all remember uh, the, the draw, doing the, the high school theater mm-hmm. um, with with Robin. Um, I wasn't in drama, mind you. That's just another example of how the arts teachers have profound impacts. Oh, when um, I came
0: to on their students, when I came to Hilliard and just opened up, I knew Robin's name <laughs> within a couple of mm-hmm. months, just because of the real connection okay. she's got with people in the community. Okay. So.
1: The only athletic thing I did uh, was I ran track my senior year. Um, I I, I, I love baseball, but I just didn't l- play little league and didn't learn to develop the skills. So I had no shot of making you know competitive baseball team. Uh, but I did Big run track. Too. I did run track my senior year, and uh, John Hammond was the coach of the track team. And uh, he uh, passed away maybe 15 years ago. I could look this up if I knew we were going to talk about it. Hmm. But uh, my senior year in high school, um, two things. I started track, and I did the mile. And I, it was over a seven-minute mile, but you don't get cut from track. So I stuck it out and finished out the track season, and, and I enjoyed doing that. I was last place every time on the on the Davidson team. I think I cut my mile to under six minutes by the end of the year, but I still ran track. And Coach Hammond was still, i mean, he still watched me finish it out, and I was bettering my time, and... And He supported that, so you know it wasn't like he said, ah, you know, forget it. I got my; these are my star. <laughs> right. So uh, I do remember that about Coach Hammond, and um, I also remember the same senior year. And I would look this up. I would have looked this up, but there was a track runner from Westerville South. Might have been Westerville North, but it was Westerville. Bob Kennedy. This guy went to Indiana University, uh, and set set collegiate records in the NCAA. Uh, they, well, they might not still stand today, but. But uh, surely he had OCC records and probably statewide Ohio records. I would have looked it up. Uh, But I do remember Coach Hammond, you know, telling some of the Davidson track runners, okay, we can win this meet. We need, you know, we need these placements. We need to do this. I don't remember this vividly, but it was kind of sort of, you know, I don't know that anybody's going to beat Kennedy just – Win the track meet for us, right? Right. Because we can do this if we place because it's point based. Uh, that's how I remember it. Yes. Yes. So, yes. So if we get all the rest of these and fill in everything else, collectively, Davidson's a better team than yeah. than Westerville. Maybe there's no individual on this team that's going to beat Kennedy, but we'll win the meet, and we did.
0: The best uh, example <laughs> of that in sports history is the greatest winner of all time. <clears throat> In professional sports, Bill Russell, Bill Russell's goal when he played against Will Chamberlain was to keep him under forty. <laughs> and if he could keep Chamberlain under kind of like nominal control, right, then the they felt the confident that they could win. Yeah. You know, and that's that's essentially what right. you know, your coach was telling you. So you, you, you
1: being like, the student athlete understood that because i would never had any coach. Before in Little League or anything ever, so I kind of figured the coach would say, "Go out there and beat them all. We're number one." So it was a little bit unusual of me to hear a coach describe, however it was. I don't vividly remember, but the description was along the lines of, "Let's let's you know win the meet. We can do this. We're collectively better. Don't worry about Kennedy. Let him do his thing. Uh, we'll 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 win." So. Right. I'll teach you know, um, a relationship like that teaches kids that a wife
0: is not. That zero sum uh, If it doesn't work out To my dreams Pitch a fit kind of reality It's more about Understanding the needs mm-hmm. Understanding your capabilities And then the ability To apply yourself mm-hmm. To achieving those those goals uh, It doesn't always work out But you guys have both talked about uh, People that have helped you pursue mm-hmm. uh, Various skills to to various levels of, of craft, you know, the ability to take yourself. My son played tennis this year, and he started out uh, very low rank, never really played organized sports before, uh, just recently got the most improved award for his section right. of the team. And it has reinforced in him and changed his thinking about Tennis, about how he approaches The game himself, about how he approaches His own development, and that's Part of a process, that's part of Engagement, and Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that Can't be underestimated about Education and teachers is that That level of engagement with Their students provides Lifelong patterns of behavior In those students You you have uh, A rudiment core memory (laughs) Related to that box That is not being dislodged by anything. Right. Uh, and similarly, a lot of those cork patches are right under your fingertips just knowing right where it is. Uh, Kevin, the same thing. You still run to this day. I mean, even after being struck by an automobile, you still get out there and trot around. <laughs> that requires
1: okay. a different podcast probably. Yeah, and that's... Uh, <laughs> On foot, yes. I was struck by an automobile. so That's mm-hmm. a testament to your teachers. That build. was it's my a, fault
0: though. It's a testament to what you got out of it and what it made you into. Sure. What Um, about you, Jordan? Well, dang. Uh, My two formative teacher experiences are probably uh, Mr. Charles Little, who was my lit teacher and English teacher in high school. And uh, he was a guy who really believed in um, the precision The classics, the reading The the enshrined Canon All these things But he brought it to you In its form He brought it to you without Dumbing anything down Or trying to offer you the movie version Or anything like that Mm. And for the kind of student I was At that time in my life uh, That was a very uh, Intoxicating challenge Mm. To me And I really embraced that and read a lot and learned a lot and learned a lot about how I would go on to feel (laughs) uh, in life based on understandings I had internally but didn't really comprehend until I took in more literature, took in more thought, took in more uh, expression, uh, wider than I generated previously or knew in my own experience. Mm. and. Uh, he believed in what I was writing and what I was putting out as part of my work and stuff in the class and, and presentations and everything. That made a difference to me. That really did make a difference to me. Um, it, was a big, it was a big deal. That and several history teachers um, <laughs> throughout my education mm-hmm. at various times, their different idiosyncratic passions about different topics... Uh, Mm -hmm. really made me feel like, oh, there's a place for every dumb thing under the sun that you want to learn about. You can really uh, tunnel in and and find worth and value and everything that there is out there. And you don't do that uh, to your detriment. Like, if there's something you want to understand, you shouldn't just accept what's on the surface. You should learn skills in how to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. And both those teachers taught me how to research. Both those teachers taught me how to read critically, and, um, you know, uh, (laughs) I didn't love Ted uh, as a history teacher. I'm (laughs) blanking on his last name. Remember
1: his first name and not his last name?
0: Yeah. (laughs) He was that kind of teacher. Okay. Uh, But I'll just, I'll never forget, uh, we spent like a whole three weeks on JFK's uh, assassination and Mm -hmm. just the whole... Back into the left and <laughs> oh. really just took me inside like American history, like I'd never been taken inside it before. Uh, and for high school level history, uh, with a f- level of frankness about uh, the reality of what had gone on um, in our history, uh, that really left an impression on me and really made me think hard about what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to build my understanding of the world. So, yeah. Uh, You know, Sharon Huseman's uh, scholarship, Sunsets, but her enduring legacy is uh, the role she played in shaping people uh, to be adults and to be uh, upstanding and uh, good citizens out there in the world. And I think that's been pretty clear. Uh, from your article and people speaking on their experience with her specifically. and
1: The the two students are Davidson graduates, Kristen Cashel and um, Alex Kafka.
0: Yeah, the final recipients. We've got a picture that will go up with the story.
1: Uh, so you'll see that. And, and one more teacher uh, I'll mention, my fifth grade teacher um, from Beacon Elementary School. Beacon Elementary School. There
0: you go. Um, Neighborhood.
1: Mr. Stephen Seal, uh, who went on to be a principal at Hillard Elementary and then went on to Buckeye Boys Ranch to um, do some administrative things, I believe. Um, and this also speaks to things that changed in 40 years. Um, uh, today the district has a wonderful infrastructure um, to help support uh, children, students in any manner, in any and all manners that have any issues at home, social issues. Um, I mean, there were guidance counselors when we went to school, fellows, but there, there's a whole other level of, of um, support that, um, that students have, and that infrastructure just wasn't quite there. Uh, in 1980, and uh, just for a little bit of context, um, my, my father passed when I was in the fifth grade. Oh wow! And Stephen Seale was my teacher that particular school year, and I don't know what he told the students uh, when I was gone for a few days, but uh, looking back again, I didn't realize it at the time, but you know, he understood, you know, you know, to look out for me um, a little bit. Uh, he passed when I was a student at Ohio State, and I went to the funeral and uh Mrs. His widow uh kind of who are you and i explained well when your husband was a teacher at beacon in the fifth grade and that's as far as i got with what did she knew right. she knew who i was and it also made me realize wow i don't know that he himself had any direction as what do i do if a student's father dies i mean i don't know if he got i don't know if he learned how to handle that with a student when he was getting his educator's license, right. but all that infrastructure is in place now sure. uh, for for staff, for students, for faculty. I mean, we see what happens, unfortunately, uh, if a student uh, dies by any manner, there is a huge groundswell on infrastructure for, uh, or or if a student's family member, that same mm-hmm. infrastructure um, is, is there, and it wasn't quite that... Um, uh, developed then, but, but, but looking pers- back, how Mr. Seal, um, you know, asked if I was okay and things like that, I remember, and any number of other students, uh, teachers, I'm sorry, through middle school and high school um, that I remember. Um, There's a more prescribed process now to
0: that response, but I think that just as much, if not more, has been achieved through a kind word. A semester worth of
2: kind deeds. Someone who's paying attention <clears throat> and is looking out for you. Yeah.
0: And uh, as often as not, is that's going to be your, your teachers. That's going to be the people that are uh, interacting with you on a day-to-day basis. They do for a sure. lot of great things
1: for us. And for sure. uh, some other podcasts can be a discussion maybe on the number of teachers that are leaving education. Yes. Uh, over any number of reasons. Uh, so um, it all... Yeah, the um, I, I have very they, specific they, they opinions on
0: the the adjustments that have been made to education and the doctrinaire profession of teaching and how that's been modified by uh, bad evaluation techniques and things that were put in place by people that had no business regulating or administering the classroom. And there's all sorts of things we could get <laughs> into, Kevin. And maybe we'll maybe we'll eventually get. I sent a couple emails to the H.E.A. President, <coughs> Lynna Jordan. And hopefully we'll, we'll eventually be able to get her on Now that uh, we've got a great interview with Brian in the books Maybe people can see that we can be kind of professional If we mm. try real hard <laughs> um, Yeah Why don't we just close out with that Because we're going to have two of these audio pieces We're at about a half hour for both of these Okay. We'll be publishing the Brian Guerra interview mm-hmm. uh, In the next few days mm-hmm. We'll be publishing this audio companion in the next few days The Huseman uh, scholarship article will be going up this afternoon. Uh, Things are coming out fast and furious from the Hilliard Beacon. And we haven't even touched on maybe the biggest city-level story, Um, and we'll do that next week when... uh, That'll be
1: after the piece is published. Right, yeah, publish that first. That'll also be before the meeting on June 12th when they'll consider this. For so, the final
0: time before recess.
1: so we, we can get into that then. But there's some reaction on Hillard City Council to the dismissal of Finance Director David Landy, which we've discussed here before. And that reaction is to – and there's – other cities do this, but but Hillard City Council, some members of Hillard City Council are suggesting a charter change that would, for the Finance Director and for the Law Director, prescribe some additional checks and balances where decisions – and recommendations of the city manager are subject to approval by city council, and that's what's being suggested relative to the finance, relative to the office of finance director and the office of law
2: director.
0: Who's in charge here? Who's in charge <laughs> here? Come on
2: now!
0: It's been on. 100 days since the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio.
1: <laughs> Didn't know that.
0: And I am still asking. What goes on these trains that run through Hilliard? Hopefully we won't ever have to ask what we would do in the 100 days following a train disaster in Hilliard, Ohio. where do you hear the song Bill wrote about that. I can't wait. have been working on it. Oh, I can't so, wait. We yeah, will do that off the air because uh, I don't want Bill to sue me for copyright. All right. You guys, thank you again for coming out today. Thank you all out there for listening, subscribing to the Hilliard Beacon. Please pass us along. Uh, We continue to grow, but we couldn't do anything at all without your support. And we are trying desperately to grow and support Kevin's mission to rejuvenate and uh, reinvigorate local journalism here in central Ohio, and Hilliard specifically, providing you.